Welcome to episode 153 of The Climate Champions. Super exciting episode for you, recorded live at the Gridwise Alliance's annual GridConnects conference featuring Gene Rodriguez, Assistant Secretary of Energy at the U.S. Department of Energy, leading the Office of Electricity, also featuring hot sauce. And let me preface by saying this, Gene is a great sport. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at CrevatEnergyInnovations.com and check out the video version of this episode on the Climate Champions YouTube channel. The Climate Champions is sponsored in part by the Gridwise Alliance. Uniting grid modernization experts from across the electricity industry, the Gridwise Alliance promotes grid innovation for a decarbonized economy. To learn more, visit gridwise.org. For more Climate Champions Live, be sure to catch my next live episode from the floor of Distributech International on February 28th. I'll be interviewing Whit Fulton, CEO at Connector, the one-and-done connection solution for home solar, electric vehicles, and heat pumps. This year, Distributech is in Orlando, Florida, February 26th through 29th, less than two weeks away. I was on the EV Advisory Committee this year, and we have an amazing lineup of presenters. I'm sure the other tracks are also excellent as always, offering a wealth of education, information, and solutions to drive the transmission and distribution industry forward. And of course, the expo is truly one of a kind. I'll be doing another video montage this year, interviewing companies that are helping to mitigate climate change. So please look for me and let's catch up. If you haven't registered yet, please use my promo code for a 20% discount at distributech.com. The code is, in all caps, DTPART30. That's DT Part 30. And without further ado, take it away, Karen Wayland, CEO of the Gridwise Alliance, and Episode 91's featured guest. the third year of what we hope is going to be a very regular event at Grid Connects, which is the hot seat with Lee Krivat. And if you've been at all associated with Gridwise, you know who Lee is. He's a longtime supporter of Gridwise, longtime board member, but he also has a very storied career in the energy industry, having served for over 40 years in the industry, including many years at San Diego Gas and Electric, and now has his own consulting business, and also is an advisor to a whole host of young companies in this space. He also does two things that led us to ask him to do this regular feature. One thing is that, and some of you may have been interviewed for it, hosts a regular Climate Champions podcast, which, which has won awards and profiles people who are working in the climate field. And the other thing he does is that he and his brothers regularly taste hot sauces, and they have a YouTube channel that is absolutely hysterical. And we thought, well, isn't this great? We could ask Lee if he would host the hot seat and interview people over hot sauce. So. We had uh, Jigger Shaw the first year, we had the second year, we had Representative Paul Tonko, who I will note did not taste the hot sauces, so I had to stand in for him, but he did was a good sport about the interview. And we currently have, as a very good sport, that we say that now before he started tasting the hot sauces, Assistant Secretary Gene Rodriguez. Many of you may know Gene from his many years at SoCal Edison. Before he came to DOE, was at ICF as a VP for Energy, Environment, and Infrastructure. He too qualifies as a climate champion. In 2012, he was awarded the Climate Leadership Award by the EPA. And he has been deep in the midst of implementing the infrastructure funding that Gridwise cares so much about, as well as a whole set of regular R&D and other programs that the Office of Electricity has managed for many years. So we are thrilled to have the Honorable Assistant Secretary and the Honorable Mr. Lee join up here and take it away and taste hot sauces. That was an outstanding introduction. Thank you, Karen. So thank you very much for joining me. It's my delight. It's my pleasure. And it's uh, probably my life in my hands at this point. <laughs> I'm nervous too, okay? I'm nervous too. There's no easy ones on the table, but they are in increased heat. I'm going to start off 
pre-hot sauce. So you okay. can just get one out <laughs> without having a hot mouth. With regards to climate change, what was your motivating moment? Good, good question. For me, I hope this isn't a downer for, for the conversation, but, but for me, it was this moment of clarity where I recognized something, both about myself and what I wanted to do with my life. Some 34 years ago, I was sitting at the Thanksgiving table with my mom and, you know, my brothers and sisters. I was the first person, first kid from either side of the family to go to college. And then I went to law school and I taught high school for a while and then went to law school. And I was working at a civil litigation firm doing environmental law. And then you're sitting there at the Thanksgiving table. And I realized that I wasn't tremendously proud of the work I was doing. I was, we were doing great work. I was working with a really wonderful firm, but it's a defense side work. Uh, and it was environmental law, not all the practice, but some of the work was. But we were defending a client in a civil litigation suit that involved cancer clusters and pesticides and all kinds of terrible stuff. And at that moment, sitting at the table, I recognized that this is not who I want to be. And the clarity of that was, it's not what I wanted to talk to my mom about. So from there, I started looking, quietly of course, but I found my way to the utility Southern California Edison and they uh, were looking for an attorney to work in the things that really mattered to me, which was energy efficiency, programs for low-income customers, et cetera. And I became aware of the tremendous opportunity in the utility sector to work on climate issues without being a climate guy, to put muscular amounts of money to work to make a difference in the energy sector. Lee, you know this. I do. San Diego Gas and Electric. <laughs> without being a Birkenstock wearing hippie. I, I became familiar with the, the notion that you can accomplish an awful lot from wherever you are. And that's what allowed me to focus on climate for my career, because there are so many opportunities to do it without wearing a badge that says, hey, I'm a climate guy. So I was inspired by working at the utility that you could actually work and do yeah. good at the same time. I think I was known as the climate guy that was a utility guy, which you, yeah. you didn't find that many. And people would yeah. say, that guy actually could talk to him about new technology and stuff. Well, but, but, but let me suggest this. I, th there may be some of these out there, but I don't think anybody who works kind of on the clean energy side of a utility was a little kid saying, gosh, I want to be an astronaut or maybe a fireman or maybe a utility guy. <laughs> what, what, what winds up happening is people see the opportunity to make a difference. And for me, and you'll recognize the name, for me, I got to meet John Bryson, who was then the CEO of Southern California Edison, one of the founding members of the Natural Resources Defense Council. He was a hell of a guy, a wonderful visionary leader who really knew how to take the utility and ensure that it worked in the public interest. That was my inspiration. I saw what could be done inside the utility and I just put my nose to the grindstone to make sure we did it. That's how you got started at the yeah. Thanksgiving table. Yeah. What drives you now? Why is it personally important to you now? You ask hard questions and we haven't even had the hot sauce yet. Uh, it's uh, coming, it's coming. <laughs> I don't have a personal story of this is why it's important to me now. You know, you know what it is? It, it's, uh, I, I think I answered your question with a question, which is I don't understand how it can't be important to everyone. If you believe the science, if you know and understand the urgency of the moment, and if you respect the notion that it's going to take all of us working together from whatever sectors we're in, whatever capacity we have, to make a muscular difference in the now, then how could you not, how could you not be driven to work on climate? This is, uh, not for speechifying, but this is the challenge of our generation. And the only thing we could do wrong, I think, is to ignore it and pass it on to the next, the next generation to deal with, because we don't have the time to do that. It's the challenge of any generation ever. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Let's not get preachy, but we're not talking about an energy transition or an energy transformation. We're talking about what is something that is truly an existential threat. And, and not, 
not, and I was a philosophy major in undergrad school, uh, existential threat in the true meaning of the word, Yeah. right? There are lots of threats. When I was a kid, I grew up with an interest in environmental stuff. And then the threat was to health or to health of animals or, you know, our, our health, safety and comfort where we live, our community, et cetera. The climate threat is existential to the whole of the planet, the whole of the planet and everybody in it. The only immoral act is to not find a way from wherever you sit, whatever you do, to, to try to make a beneficial difference there. Bill Gates recently said that the planet will survive. Yeah. And I'm like, what do I care? My kids aren't planets. Yeah. I'm not a planet. Yeah. I think there's an, an awful lot of wisdom to that because let me suggest this. The notion that the planet will survive, I, I hope, is like a slap in the face for people. It's that we shouldn't be worried. And I think the organizing principle for us shouldn't be about inanimate things or things that can be kind of set aside. We need to recognize that the challenge we face isn't about green energy. It's about the ability of every single person on the planet to live a fulfilled life, a healthy life. I'm not gonna go out and say, oh, the, the world is gonna spin off its axis, but we're gonna make the world a much more miserable place to have to adapt to and exist if we don't take action now. And by we, I mean everybody. And we're making it that way as we speak. Yeah, there's an awful lot to be proud of. Yeah, I mean, Lee, you know yeah, me yeah. From, my, from the old days. I spent a lot of time kind of cheerleading for really good work as an energy efficiency guy, you're trying to recruit people to participate, to do their part. And sure, we should pat ourselves on the back for the great progress that's been made, but let's not be blinded by just looking in the rearview mirror and being so happy about the progress we've made. We still got a long way to go. We need to focus on what needs to happen next and the next and the next and the next after that. Let's give it a shot. Let's start with the Hoff hot sauce. It's really basic. It's not that hot. Okay. So we'll both survive okay. it. And I'm not happy that he got the little scoopy chips so it won't <laughs> run off. You can't cheat with Lee here. That amount you just put on that one? Uh-huh. Don't do that with the others. Okay. <laughs> that was an accident anyway. <laughs> okay. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> the rest are going to taste better, but be hotter. Okay. The heads up. That's hot already, right? I'm sitting here and all my energy, all my attention is on my tongue right now. I'm trying to think, am I going to live through this? Okay, you are the assistant secretary over the Office of Electricity. Sure. I mean, you are the person. So what are you most focused on to help mitigate climate change? Two things, actually. Two things. Number one is, is kind of a very practical notion. The reason I'm in this spot humble brag here, but, but I think an important humble brag. The reason I made it through the Senate confirmation process on unanimous consent. So that meant no matter what was on your lapel pin, you said, yeah, Gene's good enough. But all kidding aside, what I try to do is figure out how the work I do can connect to both sides of the aisle, can connect as much with California as it does with Wyoming, you know, you name it. How you can make a bigger impact is by involving more. So what I focus on, thing number one, the four things that I always talk about with my team, reliability, resilience, security, and affordability. Now you didn't hear the word climate in all of those, but as an old lawyer, I'd tell you that if you don't have all four of those things, you're not gonna be able to work on anything else. If we live in an unreliable grid, an unreliable energy state, no attention will be focused, no investment will be made on clean energy. It's just going to be about how do we fix this problem. Same with affordability. If energy is too expensive for people to be able to live their lives and run their businesses, that's the only thing. It sucks all the oxygen out of the room. So number one, the condition precedent, I make sure our office is focused on those four things. Now, it turns out, if you focus on reliability, resilience, security, and affordability, you can do a ton of work on climate. It not only enables you to focus on climate, but it allows you to work actively on it. And that's kind of the way utilities, the California utilities in the past, worked as well, right? They worked on things that were important to the utility, 
but it actually helped on climate. So that, that's number one. Thing number two that I focus on, those of you who aren't local haven't seen the DOE's building, it's called the, the James Forrestall building. It is the ugliest <laughs> building in the world. They call it brutalist architecture. Uh, I, what I look at, I, I just look at it and I go, it's concrete. You're living in a concrete bunker of sorts. I always tell my people, what's important isn't what's happening inside the four walls of Forrestall. It's the difference we make on the outside. And that's thing number two. So everything I have our team working on, especially the research focused stuff, is how are we gonna get this into the hands of the people, policymakers, legislators, regulators, utilities, you name it, any other stakeholder out there, so that it can actually make a difference, can get purchased in the real world. And those are the two principles. Focus on the basics, reliability, resilience, security, and affordability, and ensure that you align that with our climate objectives. And then thing number two, it's not about what we do inside sitting behind a desk. It's what we do that impacts people on the outside. Yeah, impact is everything. Yeah, impact is, is absolutely everything. Yeah. What's your background? How did you get to where you are? I, I, I have a checkered past. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard uh, about some of it already, right? We've yeah, heard about some of it. Anybody who started off as a philosophy pre-law major, you know, you, you're, you know they're going to wind up moving around. <laughs> I've had all kinds of jobs in my life. Everything from an A&W fry cook for half a shift, and then I quit because they told me I would have to cut my hair. <laughs> but I started off in my professional life as a high school teacher, paid off my student loans, and I thought education was tremendously important. Public education is tremendously important. I went from there to law school, became a civil litigation attorney for a while. When I had that moment of clarity and moved out, I moved to the utility sector as a regulatory litigator, because I got to work on things that were important to me in a very positive way. It wasn't defending against something. It was actually about getting money invested in doing things that would help people. From there, I got the opportunity within Edison to move to the business side of the house. And that's when I took over, wound up taking over all of the customer programs that actually impact climate, actually impact affordability, low-income programs, California Solar Initiative, energy efficiency programs. And, and the California utilities in those days were, were gangbusters on energy efficiency, demand response, and others. I retired from there to go into consulting because I really enjoyed the energy policy aspect at the utility. And moving into a consulting firm allowed me to work energy policy with the Department of Energy, with the EPA, and with a whole host of others, other utilities around the country. And then this is the part, if my wife hears this, it's going to be the topic of conversation. Then I retired so that we could live the life I promised her, concerts and travel. Uh, and then four months later, I got a phone call saying uh, there were folks at the White House who were looking to fill this role. And my name had come up a couple of times, and might I be interested? So after a long weekend conversation, <laughs> uh, I wound up uh, saying yes to the opportunity. And, and I'm here now with the opportunity to, to work in public service in my last productive days on the planet. <laughs> ah, you flew her in for a concert, you told me. <laughs> a ballet. I I did. Uh, so here, if you're an awful husband like me, there's only one thing you can do, and that's just try to do things that show that you're sorry. <laughs> so I, 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 this, this weekend, I got us really good tickets to go see the Washington Ballet's Nutcracker Suite. And it's, it's one of those things I know people are thinking, well, that's, that's not really ballet. I will tell you, you're so wrong. <laughs> because the best thing about it is they bring all these little kids from ballet school. Yeah, yeah. And you get to see their faces. And they are just, they're just <laughs> lit up. This is what the arts should be about, right? Those kids are inspired. And it's inspiring to go watch them. That's fantastic. Let's do another hot sauce. This okay. next one, I don't know if this is the right order, but let's do it this way, is a Small Axe Peppers is the brand. Uh, the name of this hot sauce is Habanero Mango. And this is the only hot sauce my brothers and I ever gave a nine to in taste. In taste. Okay, in taste. It's all so hot. I, I, okay. I'm going to say two things. I'm going to interrupt you for to say two things. Uh, number yeah. one, the fact that you, you say, I'm not really sure that this is the right order, doesn't give me a lot of confidence. And the fact that someone in the audience uttered, uh-oh, when they heard it. Okay, let's go after yeah. it. We gave it an asterisk with the nine because they make a Bronx 
hot sauce, but not a Brooklyn, and we're from Brooklyn. Cheers. Tasty, right? It is very tasty. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> that is delicious. Not so bad. No, it's, it is delicious. I, I, I will grant you that. The milk is near at hand, milk so near at hand. I'm not yeah. panicked yet. <laughs> okay. We have a concept called the burn turn. That's when it stops really burning and goes the other way. So don't let me go to the next one until the burn turn has happened. Okay. Okay. During your career, it all sounds great, but did you have any setbacks? Sure, everybody does, but I hope this doesn't sound like Rebecca Sunnybook Fromm or something, but uh, I don't like to think of it uh, that there are a lot of setbacks in my career. It's a lot of setbacks. There are a lot of learning experiences. And again, lead to the point that we were making earlier. If you really care about making a difference, making an impact, to do something that will be enduring beyond the task at hand, you should welcome the fact that if you try to do something and it doesn't work, you, you've learned something from it. Now, I will tell you, I've been a boss for a long time, so that's not an excuse for messing up all the time. <laughs> you, you better have had a pretty good hypothesis going, and the burn turn is happening as we speak. <laughs> but, but, but we shouldn't be afraid to innovate in the utility culture and the regulatory framework. There are a lot of pressures against doing something different because when you do something differently than you've done it before, you expose yourself to after the fact regulatory risk, right? We need to live in a world where people in thoughtful ways innovate, take a few chances, and that's the only way we're going to progress. If we keep doing the same things we've always done, our goose is cooked. Yeah, you weren't here this morning, but that was discussed. Oh, is that right? Fabulous. You have to fail, right? If you're going to yeah. make change yeah. happen, take risk. Yeah. What was your biggest success? What success are you most proud of? That's pretty easy. And I'll be honest, you all have to take a hard look in the mirror when you think about this. If the success you are most proud of is a me and an I thing, then just recognize that. That's, that's all fine and dandy. Everyone needs to do his or her part. For me, both through training and force of will and, and quite frankly, desire to be a better person, things I'm most proud of are these things where People who had different interests, who had different perspectives, not just the usual suspects, but are brought together so that you can align interests, never perfectly, but align interests to do something much bigger that you could ever do. I got my start in Utah. You know what the first big case I worked on was the California Collaborative. I helped button up the California. And for those of you who, this is California inside speak, but the California Collaborative process was the process that revitalized utility spending and energy efficiency programs. And it brought all these people from the utilities, from the ratepayer advocacy groups, from the environmental insurance, you know, et cetera, all made them sit in a very cold building in San Francisco all summer to hammer out a plan for doing the next big thing for efficiency. So it's the California Collaborative. It's my role with the, the National Action Plan for Energy Efficiency, efficiency. Uh, the state and local government uh, energy efficiency action network. I know the, this, this, this burn turn thing is true. It, it doesn't just attack you on the way down. It's fighting its way at, uh, back up. <laughs> but as we sit here right now, the thing I'm, uh, I've only been in office here 11 months, but the thing I'm most proud of is I use the convening power. We at the Department of Energy use the convening power of the department to bring representatives from all the utility associations and representatives from all the distribution transformer manufacturers and the Department of Commerce, Department of Labor, national security interests from the administration and got us to sit around a table like at the California Collaborative to start thinking about what are some practical things, practical things that we can do to affect the supply chain issues that are bedeviling this country and every other country right now. During these times, which are very contentious times, oh, yeah. to be able to get a common mind around almost any issue, yeah. hats off. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, hats off to those people who participate, because yeah. as you know, you can come into the room <clears throat> to be a foot dragger. You can <laughs> smile at everybody and yeah. just say, you know, I have identified an issue here uh, and just slow things down. Uh, the, the, the folks from EEI, APPA, and RECA, and the folks from the manufacturers, they all really want to figure out 
what we could do a little differently that might make a big difference. So, That's awesome. Okay, let's do, are you ready or I'm, is it too I'm, much? I'm ready. <laughs> I, 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 okay. I'm not happy, but I'm Let, ready. Let's, let's go for it. <laughs> this one's just a little hotter. Okay. Maybe less hot. I don't know. No, it says ghost pepper on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, it I've been around the block but before. It's, but it's flavored with blueberry. Oh, okay. How can you go wrong with blueberry? Oh, what is the side pour? <laughs> But I, I think you're I watched smart. Willy I Wonka. I can see what happens with blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right. Sure. Sure. <laughs> it's not that hot. Well, it's like a Hitchcock movie, right? We're just it starting is. up the stairs now, but I, I know something scary is at the top. Ghost pepper takes a while. <laughs> okay. Ghost pepper builds. <laughs> and the question is a little bit more interesting, I think. I asked quickly because my throat is closing up <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> Your vision of the future 20, 30 years from now with regards to climate, where oh. are we going to be? So hopefully this doesn't come across as uh, a dodge or something that's a little too kind of hand wavy to the folks here in the room. I'm a firm believer in the notion that, that I heard in my last professional gig that when it comes to strategic intent and culture, culture is going to kick strategic intents, but every single time. So as I look at where I want us to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I view it as a culture change approach. We're in DC, right? We need to get away from using climate, using clean energy, using clean transportation, using clean industry as an argument point, but something people are actually trying to make work for them. In the energy space, we need to get away from those people who are saying this is a terrible idea and those people are saying this is a wonderful idea, but we need to get uh, a culture where people are trying to figure out how to make it work, not about the old lawyer yeah. thing, right? Yeah. What's the number one job of a lawyer? Issue identification. But if it stops there, you're the most counterproductive tool in the toolbox. Issue identification should be about figuring out what it is we need to do to make it work. And, and I don't mean just advance a policy, but to make it work in the real world. And I'm going to reach in as well. <laughs> I got one here. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> I, I apologize for dabbing at my nose in front of all these people. My mother would be horrified, but uh, this, is, this is a mean person here. Uh, but but, but uh, all kidding aside, we need to get into a culture, and you could call it a culture of innovation, a culture of mutual trust a culture of common sense, a culture of follow the science. But in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we got to stop arguing about the little detail things and get the culture, the conversation around how do we accomplish the great tasks that are in front of us. Because even though I say the moment of urgency is today, we're going to be working on this, I think, for the rest of our careers, Lee, and the next generation's careers and the generation after that. We've gone way too far to put a Band-Aid on it and, and walk away from it. We really need to learn how to not just modernize a grid, green the economy, decarbonize the whole of the infrastructure. We're gonna have to learn different ways to manage in a world that's changed uh, remarkably so. I talked to Andrew Beebe for the podcast okay. and he said, that just like the internet invaded every part of life, it became yeah. part of everything. Yeah. His belief is that dealing with the climate issues is going to end up being part of every aspect of every life. I couldn't agree more. And, and the real question for us is whether that's gonna be because we choose to move in a productive fashion or we let things get so horrible that we're all in an adaptation mode. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There, there are a lot of folks out there who get to work in climate mitigation. What can we do now to make a difference? There's also a lot of folks out there who work in climate adaptation. We've messed up. What are we going to do about it? And right now, we have to work in both of those spheres at the same time. You've talked about how it's urgent right now. Yeah. And you've talked about how we're not there with a common mind right now. Yeah, absolutely. So when do we get there? When do we get to the point and what gets us there 
where we are aligned and we are running fast instead of crawling or walking. And here's, yeah, here's where I have what would probably be a truly unsatisfactory answer. Uh, uh, I'm no longer a consultant, so I'm not going to sell anything. You're my trusted advisor here, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> trusted advisor, okay. The goodness gracious truth, it's not some change in the economics. There are those people who argue, oh, we just need to get the prices right and things are going to happen. It's not a change in technology. Oh, AI is going to save us all, or it's going to murder us in our sleep. I'm not really sure which. Uh, it's not a regulatory thing. It's not a policy thing uh, from on high. We have to just recognize that if you're going to try to change a culture, it takes concerted action, it takes strategic intent, and it takes patience. We can't get frustrated and give up because those guys over there won't vote the right way, or these people over here won't make the right investments. We just need to keep chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. It is really the only reasonable hope is to, to actually make a commitment to make a difference. Before we get a little hotter, Okay. <laughs> and it's a bit of a step up. Uh -huh. the, the blueberry, you admit that was a step down. That, yeah, that, that that, step down. I was going to say, you, you tricked me. <laughs> you're, you're doing that thing where you're getting me to put my guard down, and then suddenly Carrie's hand is going to reach up from the yeah, grave yeah, and yeah. grab it's, my foot. It's, yeah. it's starting to reach right now. You just don't see it yet. Okay. <laughs> so first let me ask, what advice do you have for everybody about what they can do okay. to help mitigate climate change? That's a wonderful question, and, and one you know this is... My personal opinion, and everybody I've ever worked with has heard me say this over and over again, and, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, it sounds smarmy, it sounds kind of look down your nosy, but I, I want you to think about this notion, and, and uh, let me do it in a mean way. Do you want to be right, or do you want to be effective? And we need to ask ourselves, th those of us who believe in the science, who want to make a difference, we need to ask ourselves which of those things seems like the right path forward. For me, as someone who taught high school for five years, I'm now at the point of my life where I don't think we can just educate the others to do the right thing the way we want it done. So we have to start thinking about that notion. Okay, well, how are we effective in a politically fractured, divided world? How are we effective when there's no silver bullet technology or fiat from on high that's gonna change everything? We need to start thinking about how to make a difference with the world as it exists, to move it where we want it to go, and not stand on a podium and you know lecture people and say, this is what must be done. I hope it works. Okay, you ready? Okay, let's, let's go for okay, it. Okay, this one is gonna be hotter. Okay. <laughs> It's not burn your face off hot, okay. but it's, it's tasty and, uh, and hot. And this is called Carnival okay. by Karma Sauce. Okay. All I know is when someone says, this one <laughs> is going to be hotter, that pause <laughs> tells you everything you need to know. But you got it. Okay. It's hardly affecting you. Okay. Oh, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said I would do at least as much more. Okay, that's more. That's scary, man. That's scary. <laughs> Here, Here we, we go. go. Look, that's way too much more. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you're a man's man. Here we go. Oh. Here we go. Mm-mm. That tastes good. Sweet at the start. Yeah, it's good. Wow, it's uh, heating up pretty darn fast. <laughs> it's like a burn turn about three, four minutes. So okay. while I have you uh, with a bit of heat, I'm going to put you on the, the hot, hot seat. Okay. So we're going to do a lightning round. And I'll just ask you about a concept. You can try to keep it to under a minute, 30 seconds. That would be great. Okay. Okay, but still say something with content. Your opinion on the future of VPPs, virtual power plants. Fabulous. So that's the world I came from. I think the potential for virtual power plants, grid edge resources working in a way that, that, that makes sense, is fabulous. It's outstanding. But the hard look in the mirror tells me we have not yet done what needs to be done for utilities to make fulsome use of them. The fact that in California, the California ISO brags, oh, we called for conservation and demand response one day and it helped cut lights on. Fabulous. That's one day. Yeah. 
We need to actually incorporate and integrate those resources into grid. That's, what's that gonna take? Visibility, controllability, <laughs> wow. <laughs> what just happened is saliva came up and that saliva oh. is bringing up the heat. Oh gosh, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I, I want hazard pay, Karen. <laughs> but, but, but it's not just about will. There are technological investments that need to be made. There are a, a cultural change that needs to happen. Planning and operations need to change to, to make best use of BPPs. Yeah. What about the growth for EVs? Oh, I mean, look, in my, look in my neighborhood in California. It's Tesla after Tesla. That's Tesla's California. That's California. I know, I know but, but let me suggest this. They're, they have worked their way into the market as a mainstream vehicle. Here's what's going to happen with EVs, I think. It's going to continue to grow in every single market. Maybe not huge in some markets at first. So the real question is, what? <laughs> why did I agree to do it's this? Not for me. <laughs> no, but, no but, but kidding aside, the real question is, do we just observe this phenomena or do we figure out how to make them assets for reliability and for carbon reduction? They're already <laughs> doing their job. Holy moly, this has got some heat to it. It's a three minute, two, three yeah, minutes. Yeah, it, it is, it is, you, you warned me in advance. <laughs> They're already helping to decarbonize the transportation sector. And it's the technology, not the brand of a car that's doing that. What we need to figure out is, can we make a more fulsome use of them? Yeah, EVs as VPPs. EVs as part of VPPs, yeah. absolutely yeah. right. So I would call this distributed versus centralized or rooftop versus centralized. I follow you. What's your opinion there? It's all of the above. I come from the grid edge side of the world. That's what I, you know, where I spent 24 years and then another eight years on top of that. But I will say we need to understand that the grid is no longer the big poles and big wires and little wires and, and transformers. It's everything, including the people, excuse me, people, including the people on the other end of the line whose behavior affects the grid, or the energy system. So if you have that kind of endpoint to endpoint view of the grid, everything, everything in it is importantly, and, and, and we need to recognize that. I agree. All hours in the quiver, Absolutely. all technologies, all people. All politicians. Absolutely, yeah. Let <laughs> uh, them all, all countries, let everybody all win. businesses, everybody's getting Let everybody it. win. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one of my concerns is long-term storage. Yeah. What's going to win there? What's going to happen there? What's the best bet on it? This is one I will dodge. So, and, and here's why. Uh, and, and here's why. I think anyone who wants to anoint a winner for long-duration energy storage right now is selling something. What we're doing from the Office of Electricity that I, that I think makes an awful lot of sense is we're not looking at specific technologies as the winners. We're looking at what are the characteristics we need. We know we need the long duration. We know we need the safety. We know we need the economics to improve. And we're setting those targets out there and letting the market innovators find ways to, to try to meet those targets. That's what I think makes sense because if you approach it that way, what really winds up happening, it's the innovators, not the legislators and the regulators that tell you what, what's gonna be the winning technology. And it allows room for more than one technology, right? So in long duration energy storage, my team and I, we are absolutely focused on what are the performance characteristics we need and what are the economic characteristics we need to be able to use that in a way in the, in the real world. You did dodge it, but I, I yeah. agree, because all yeah. arrows in the quiver. Yeah, right? all arrows in the quiver. We, we don't have it yet. So my opinion is that grid 2.0 is a grid-attached network of microgrids, which kind of goes along with what you said about working together. Yeah. Is that grid 2.0? Let me agree with you for so many words and then, <laughs> and then be a little spicy and, and throw it back and, and ask you this. Thank you for the pun. Uh, there you go. Uh, That's hot. <laughs> there you go. Dun, dun. Uh, but, but, but all kidding aside, the grid of today is a network. You know what's different about what you're calling grid 2.0 and the grid we have today? 
people don't recognize, plan, and operate the grid as if it's a true network where every endpoint it should be understood, it should be visible, and decisions should be made at how it's operated. Around the microgrid side, here's, here's where I want to push back. I've, I've been to Alaska a couple of times because the, the needs there are tremendous, you, especially in these remote rural communities, right? Their microgrid, that's not their comfort, it's their life. It's their life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Australia's full of them, right? Yeah, yeah. E exactly right. What I'd love to see in a, a place like Alaska is a series of connected microgrids so community can help community. But that might not be economically feasible. They might need microgrids on their own. Just as for critical infrastructure, you have a microgrid to protect it if all heck breaks loose around it, right? So I think there will be microgrids all over the place for all kinds of reasons. For some people, it's power quality. For some people, it's energy security. For some people, like in some of those rural communities in Alaska, it's because it's their only way to have a, a reliable energy system. I don't think we're gonna be tearing down the existing infrastructure anytime soon. I think the microgrids are an addition that spawn around the huge transmission distribution network that yeah. we have today. So, so when I say grid attached, network of microgrids, yeah. I'm trying to say we That's leverage the grid. That's a beautiful phrase. We leverage the grid, but when something happens to the grid, bingo, people can survive that. Bingo, right? exactly right. That's exactly right. One last one of these fast answers. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I warned you, Lee, that <laughs> you I'm a talky guy. <laughs> you did. The biggest game changer in climate that we're going to see. Don't pick a winner. No. Yeah. So again, it's not a technology. It's not a policy. It's going to have to be that mindset I was talking about of alignment of interests. That is the biggest. In fact, let me, let me, let me alter my answer a little bit because something just occurs to me. When I came, this is my first stint in public service. And when I, if you don't know, but before you are actually confirmed into the role, the only information you have about where you're going to work, number one, what you can you know, read in the slick and glossy stuff online, so public information, and number two, what gossips are willing to tell you. And, and there are a lot of people who are willing to say, oh, you're going to like that. But all kidding aside, when I walked into the building, when I did my interviews through the Senate, I fessed up. I'm an all of the above kind of guy. And, and, and people think right now, and rightfully so, when someone says, oh, I'm all of the above, that's the foot dragger. Because all of the above to so many people right now in the political sphere means I'm just gonna keep what I do, even if it's not good for everybody else. But when I walked in the department, the thing I was very happy to see is aligned with the way I view the world, that all of the above means we need to recognize and respect the fact that the 50 states and six territories aren't all gonna do things the way an administration, any administration in DC wants it done. So we need to figure out how to decarbonize the grid, how to address climate, no matter what the energy policies, no matter what the current situation is, or the economics in any particular locale, region, state, whatever. So the mindset that I'm happy to see is within the Department of Energy, We've got folks working on decarbonizing traditional fossil fuels, right? Yeah. To folks trying to make advancements in the nuke side of the world, people working in EERE on renewable energy and energy efficiency, and then my shop trying to figure out how to integrate every one of those solution sets for every state to make it reliable, resilient, secure, and affordable. So no one big thing coming. No, no golden no, bullet, no, no silver bullet, no, no yeah, golden yeah, bullet. Let, let, and, and let me say this in the meanest way possible. If, if people are waiting for someone or something to come rescue us from the situation we're in, you're part of the problem. Honestly, we need to own the fact that all of us have, I'll overstate it maybe a little bit, a moral obligation to think about what it is that we can and should be doing today in the roles that we've been given the opportunity to fulfill to make a difference on climate, to make a difference on affordability, to make a difference in people's health, safety, and comfort, and the prosperity of our, our country and our businesses. I think waiting for the technological advancement that's gonna make everything good that's a cop-out. 
That's the biggest cop out in the world. I, I thought the way you said it was beautiful. Different people can do different things. Yeah. Some of us can do more than others. And if you can, then you should. But everybody can do something. Yeah. yeah. I think that's absolutely right. So before we take a couple of questions from the audience, which have very little time left, you want to do a double? You mango, pick it. Mango habanero. Okay. Mango habanero. I, I'm not going to do That was actually the tastiest, yeah, and I didn't yeah. set my lips on it. <laughs> and I don't want to do that to you with the carnivals. So. I, I, I will say right now, you know, if you've ever seen the science of hot sauces, they say they're little yeah. spikes and stuff like that. I can feel the little spikes dancing yeah. on my lips. As we have a, another term called lip licker. <laughs> Don't be a lip licker, because if you lick your lips, your lips are going to hurt. <laughs> okay. Here well, we go. That was a lot. You're, you're, you're going well, for it. You're going for it. Cheers, my Cheers. friends. All right. All right. Do we have any questions? Great commentary. Uh, proud of you for eating the hot sauce, too. That's uh, <laughs> one of my favorite things. So how do we deal with the social inequity issues? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really running a utility. It's, it's very easy to say, yes, we're going to have a sweeping change on our power supply. We're going to give credits for plug-in hybrids and for EVs. Yeah. How do we deal with the issue that for the average family of four that makes $54,000 a year that's barely paying their bills and say, don't worry, you're yeah. saving for the future? You know, yeah. when, they're when we have real issues to deal with the people who can't afford a Tesla, yeah. can't afford to do the insulation, how do, we get, how do we get over that hurdle? Yeah, that, that's a wonderful question, and it's a space I came from in the utility sector as well. Uh, let me tell you the right answer and the wrong answer, and I'll start with the wrong answer first. And, and sometimes what you see, both in uh, the regulatory context or in policy circles, people say, not everyone can afford this, so it's unfair to do this. Those people who say these are expensive propositions and then just use that as the reason for not doing it at all are bad people. <laughs> I had to think of what I could say. That I know. Possible. That's you came over bad people. <laughs> but, but, but all kidding aside, in uh, utility parlance and utility <laughs> history, there's this notion of equitable treatment of every customer and consumer. That doesn't mean the exact same treatment for every customer and consumer. I used to sit on the California Low Income Advisory Board, Oversight Board is what it was called, but it was just an advisory board, and we would talk to the commission about things to do. And if you actually listen to the folks who, who need the service, who need the help, et cetera, you don't hear them say, don't give anyone an incentive to electrify their personal transportation because I can't afford it. What you hear them say is, what can be done for me that meets my needs and my circumstances? And every progressive regulator, every utility executive worth his or her salt, thinks about how to provide for the needs of specific parts of their service territory, specific, still hot, <laughs> specific <laughs> parts of their customer base and not trying to just have the jiff smooth and creamy peanut butter where everyone gets a really thin layer of the same exact stuff. Like any marketing, uh, marketing proposition, if you have a solution and it's not reaching some of the other people, you need to figure out why it's not getting there, not stop treating these people over here. That's what I think the approach is. It takes a little bit of, quite frankly, ability to step back for a moment away from kind of the programmatic approach and start thinking about it from the consumer end of the lens. Gene, thank you. Really appreciate it. Lee putting them on the hot seat. Appreciate <laughs> it. As we're going towards this decarbonization, it seems apparent to, to most of us that we're going to have hiccups. But there's a whole bunch of folks that are waiting for that to happen so that they can go back to old ways or they can... What, what are your thoughts there? How do, you, how do we, I guess, prepare ourselves and think about even though there's a bump in the road, yeah. all technologies, all industries have always had the bump in the road, we need to keep going. Yeah. And how do we get back on the horse? Two kinds of people, uh, and, and real quickly, two kinds of people in the world. The people who admire the problem and the people who think about the solution. And there are those people who admire the problem because it suits their purpose, which is to say, let's derail this effort entirely. I think the way that we have to deal with it, quite frankly, in, in your role where you're public facing and under the oversight of others, we need to be bold about what we're trying to accomplish. 
But uh, just as I'm sure you've told people, completed staff work isn't running into a problem. Completed staff work is you bump into a problem, you assess why you have the problem, and you figure out what the solution set or solution sets might be to get you around it. We just have to be brave enough to recognize, as you do, that we are going to have hiccups. And the real answer is that you either treat it as a learning experience and you move forward, or else you do the dis disingenuous and dishonest thing and say, oh, that's the reason we can't do it at all. Yeah, I think the thing is, we're going to have to be brave. Yeah, as absolutely. Said, we're going to have to be brave. I, I, and it, it's not really personal courage, it's commitment. And I look around this room and I, think, you know, I see heads nodding. These are people who believe in the science. These are people who believe that we need to make some kind of positive difference on the planet. No one gets up on a Monday and says, I just want to go do tasks. People want to make some sort of positive difference. We need to have the commitment to actually follow through on that and, and use our role, our powers, our abilities to make a positive difference. But an opportunity, not just to make money, but to make a difference. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up, and I'm going to wrap it up <laughs> with a wrap. It was Thanksgiving with your family. You wanted to say it loud, but you couldn't because of what you did. So you moved into something that made you proud. You had all kinds of jobs, a lot of things you saw, and maybe that's because you majored in law. <laughs> because of a phone call you got, your promise to your wife started to unravel. <laughs> then you're not doing the things you promised, like maybe do more travel. <laughs> Listen, there's something that I have to confess uh, about how you pronounce your last name. I didn't want to guess. I found out when I asked you that the Z sound is less. It actually is more of an S. I hope after the hot sauce and the wrap, you're still glad you said <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Gene Rodriguez. <laughs> You are a genius. <laughs> thank you, Lee, and thank you, Gene. It's not what I wanted to talk to my mom about. That thought at the Thanksgiving table a few decades ago shifted Gene's life direction towards one of making an impact. First, to Southern California Edison's customers, and now for the United States, and if he does it right, the world. To view the video version of this podcast, head to YouTube and search for The Climate Champions. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying The Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe. Rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. And again, please join me at Distributech in Orlando on February 28th for a live episode with Whit Fulton, CEO at Connector. And don't forget about the 20% discount code DTPART30. Gene closed by saying, no one gets up on a Monday and says, I just want to do tasks. People want to make some sort of positive difference. We need to have commitment to actually follow through on that and use our role, our powers, our abilities to make a positive difference. It's true that Gene has more influence than most people on the planet, but we all have something to offer to help mitigate climate change.